coming up on your favorite podcast, two old speech coaches sit down for a little bit of pod puree. That's right. Me and Ryan hang out for about an hour or so, talk a little bit about the speech season, speech itself, coaching. It gets a little boring. I mean, not boring. It's not the word I would use, but it's a little inside baseball for some, but it's what we did. Then we uh, knocked into some politics, uh, talked a little bit about John Fetterman, maybe some Senate stuff, some politics stuff, just a few minutes of that. And then we finished off with some football talking David, uh, Derek, not David Carr, man, what is happening to me? Derek Carr talking Eric Hendricks getting released by the Vikings and, and a couple other little things that snuck up on the, uh, on the old pod tonight. So it's Ryan, it's me, it's pod it's next on the podcast. It's the Tim Anderson Podcast. I'm Tim. That is my buddy Rhino over there with his uh, mood lighting. And uh, we are video. Uh, this this one I think will go up on the YouTube channel. So uh, get the mood lighting out for Ryan. I know he's all about it. Good to see you, Rhino. You know, it's good to be here. Pretty tired tonight. It's been a, it's been a long day, Tim. I know, uh, I know you had a long day. I've had a long day. It's And it's just getting to be a long week. And we got snow in the forecast. I don't know if you saw that. That's getting longer. Getting longer. (laughs) I don't know, man. We've had like 75 inches of snow this winter. I don't know if I've got much more. Uh, Like, what what can we do here? You know, I mean, it's just, uh, it's it's way too much here. The National Weather Service says that this weekend we are very likely to cross into the top 10 of the snowiest winters in Minnesota history, so... Yeah, and I think it's going to happen. It's going to happen. They said said multiple chances of snow over the next seven days. So we got got tomorrow, where we're already under a winter storm warning. We've got, uh, you know, we've got, I guess, Saturday into Sunday, we've got more. And then we've got another thing of snow coming on Monday and Tuesday. And hopefully that's it. I mean, I'd like to see that all run. And, like, I know they're talking big right now. I'd like to see that under-deliver. I would like to see them be way under all of that and have it just be a couple of dustings that melt pretty quickly. Yeah. And that's the good news is that the daytime temps are up in the high 30s, 40s, and feels like a lot of that stuff kind of melts before it hits the ground in some cases. But but we're not melting any of the big stuff, and that's the problem. Right. We got to work on it. Oh, Rhino, you and I are both... ridiculous. You and I are both exhausted because the eight-week gauntlet... That is our regular speech season has come to a close. And actually, it's nine weeks, and you and I will be out again on the circuit this Saturday. But we have we are wrapping our regular season basically for all intents and purposes this weekend. Yep. Nine straight Saturdays, you and I have gotten up out of bed, jumped onto cold buses, made it out to these high schools, and... Uh, and another season in the books, my friend. Pretty close. Uh, how do you feel about this season for you? Um, and for all you know, yep, we coach speech. Ryan, Ryan, and I are coaching in the community, uh, the world of, of uh, speech and uh, forensics and all that jazz. And the winter in Minnesota is speech season. You know, some people think it's hockey and wrestling, but it is speech season. And Rhino, we we made it, my man. We made it. Yeah, almost. Uh, I'm uh, I'm exhausted. Uh, I know you you stepped away from debate this year, uh, 
and and you know I had about a two week break uh, in December from debate, but it was the Christmas season, so you know I I had those two Saturdays off of debate, but uh, you know you're still busy because you're going out and doing holiday stuff on those Saturdays, but uh, for all intents and purposes, I haven't had a Saturday not doing anything since last August. Um, I, I have been busy every weekend since August. Uh, I have been doing 70 to 80 hour work weeks between my actual job and this, uh, since October, uh, with again, that, that little break for Christmas, that little like week or two break for Christmas. Uh, but you know, with hosting a tournament that the first tournament in, in, in January, uh, and debate sections being the week before, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, even through Christmas, I was working. So it was, it's been hard. This year has been really hard. Uh, my first year as a head coach, uh, it's, it's gone well. We've, we've gotten some hardware to show for it. It's, it's been, uh, competitively a success, but, um, it's, it's been exhausting. I'm not going to lie to you. And it's, I knew the job would be, but you know, you, you just, you, you come out of this and you, there's lessons learned and there's things you enjoy, but there's some things that, you know, even you know, having done this in my, in my ninth year coaching this, I'm just not sure that I was 100% ready for in my first year. Yeah. Sitting in this, uh, sitting in the number one chair, the captain's chair, um, I don't think anything really prepares you for it. I, I must admit, uh, you know, I don't know if after even 10 years as an assistant coach, I was really ready uh, to sit in the the big boy head coach chair. Uh, there's just so much you have to be aware of and accounted for. And you really do feel like it's kind of on you when you're a head coach of anything, right? Whether it's baseball or football or whatever it is, you take over the head of something and it's and and you just feel like there's this really big weight of responsibility to build, to be a good steward of the program, to recruit, to get kids interested, to get parents interested, to get a full buy-in, to get to get everybody on board and rowing the same direction all the time. And then, you know, have everybody just sort of be, be on board. And what do you do when chaos comes up and team drama and things of that nature? And um it's and it's stuff that's harder now than it was, you know, eight nine years ago. I'm, you know, I'm not really sure that, you know, it's it's for everybody anymore. I, I must admit, I, I will say, uh, the last half of the season's been a lot of fun. I had a really cha- you know really chaotic off season heading into this season. Uh, I've enjoyed the kids. Uh, it's been a good it's been a good time, but I I definitely would would love to see this season get in the rearview mirror and go back and reflect and think it over and try new things after that. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I'm just in a weird spot with this year. I, there's a lot that I really enjoy. I really like, you know, the, the future of where my team's headed. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I won't, I won't get into the, the issues on the, on the podcast cause they're, there, there's stuff there, right? There's always going to yeah. be issues wherever you go, but yeah, hundred um, percent. You can't fix everything. Not everything comes together cleanly. You know, we yeah. know that. But at the same time, there's there's some issues that are also inescapable that become deal breakers after after a while, uh, where you know you you muddle through them because they're on unf- they're unforeseen, right? There are things that when you took the job you didn't know about, 
uh, things that, that you didn't sign up for that you, you, you know, you want to get through and, and stick through cause you're a professional and you care about the kids and you want them to have a good year, especially for those seniors that have stuck through, you know, multiple coaching changes in my case that, you know, that you want them to have a good year. And we have, right. The, the seniors on my team have been doing really well this year. Uh, but there, there is that, that sort of like nagging stuff that you, you're just not sure that, that it becomes a long-term thing yeah. um, where it's, you're, you have to reevaluate at the end of the year, which sucks. Cause I would love to, to be making plans and saying, I'm, you know, absolutely. This is the direction we're going for next year, but I don't know what the direction is for next year. And part of that is I just, I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. You got to kind of, and it's always weird because you, you have to, I think in any sport, you know, I talked to some football coaches about this too. You kind of have to let the season play itself out and let it finish, but everything's really fresh when you're at this stage, right? Because you're in this weird place where you're reflecting back on what the season was like, whether that was, again, and whether it's football, speech, a play, you name it, you're in this weird spot where you're just about ready to finish. Uh, but you can kind of see the end in sight. You're reflecting back and yet you're in kind of this holding pattern. You're like, well, I can't make any future decisions. I shouldn't make any future decisions um, because everything is really fresh. Everything is really, you know, uh, it, 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 it's just, it, I don't know. It might be just too soon. You have to kind of get away from it. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how long that is either. I don't know what the timeline is. I just know that when we hit every coach, when they hit this spot in the season, just would like to see the end of it and get just to the final product. Like, let's see what we do at sections. Let's see if we get in the state tournament. Let's see if that motivates us or gets some mojo flowing. And, you know, oftentimes that's what keeps us coming back, right? In, in the case of speech, it's about those kids who figure it out for the first time, yeah. you know, who make that first final who make it to the section finals when they're not supposed to um, those kids that just finally break through and get it and they look more confident and they're, they're, they're just, they walk with a different purpose. Uh, it's the stuff that makes us love coaching this activity. And, you know, we see long-term positives, right? It's not yep. like football or wrestling and I'm not trying to shit on any of those activities. I'm really not. There's value in all of those things. But like, you know, the wrestling it tournament's done. It is different. The, when the wrestlers are done, they limp away, they walk away, and that's it. And you don't know if what you did gave them long-term value or not. Yeah. In speech, I think I know that. I, I think that's the value of this activity is I see it. Like, I see the long-term growth and value, and it's what's well, what keeps you coming back. In, in, our, in our case here, there's the... And this you is know, really inside baseball for my listeners. So you're getting some insight yeah. into speech, and I'm sorry, but hopefully you can translate this into other things as well. But but there, we there's to have a little speech cabal here, a little talk, a little tab room talk. Yeah, for sure. There, there's a nature to these kids too that that's a little different than you would see in athletics, where you know you know a football player when they walk in the room, right? Like if you get you get the kind of the school star wide receiver who walks in the room, you know who he is. Right, you know who the schools, you know who the hockey players are. You can spot a wrestler from across the cafeteria, right? That you know who these kids are, the way they carry themselves, from because they've been doing it for years, right? Especially yep. hockey, hockey wrestlers, football players, basketball players. They've been playing since they were kids, and they've been the big right? man on campus forever. Yeah, everybody knows right. who they are. 
and they're they just they know this stuff. But speech you don't get to start till high school, in most cases, right? They, in, in some some districts you get to do it in middle school, uh, and 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 do the varsity thing early. But for a lot for a lot for the most part, right? We get some athletes, but for the most part, you know, these are academic kids that are not used to being competitive. That are you know high success kind of kids, right? Like they're. Our our, cumul- our our average GPA on our teams, other than maybe the robotics club in most schools, is probably going to be one of, if not the highest GPA of any activity. Because um, they're all take AP, they're all PSEO, yep. they're all they're, up there. The the amount of kids that will go to elite colleges out of our programs, the percentage is much higher than most programs in the school. And that's not to denigrate the kids who do other programs and say that they're dumb or that they're not as smart as our kids. It's just that these are the kids that are more likely to chase those things. They are the the high success academic kids and they come in timid and they come in not really sure of themselves and never having really experienced what Failure. it's like. Yeah. They've never Failure. failed at anything in their life. Never failed. Yeah. And they come in and they get knocked around a little bit. And because you and I have said this for years, that when you do speech and debate, it, it takes really, I mean, really just speech because we don't really talk about debate. Yeah, but the, <laughs> Seriously, the, uh, those guys are assholes. That's a conversation for another time. Yeah. Uh, uh, when we talk about speech, you know, we've always said it takes about two years to get your feet under you to really begin, not even really to understand, but to really begin to understand what it takes to succeed in speech. And and the work that it takes to get really good at speech and, and to have seen enough to understand what wins in speech, you have to have been doing it for like, you know, a year and a half, two years, because it really is that the middle of that second year when people start to turn that corner. Yep. And you know, they 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 have to learn to live through that struggle because that's where you're going to lose most of your kids is, you know, they're either in it for for three, four years or they quit after one. Because they can either you can either hang or you can't, and the kids that just kind of hang around for two years, three years, they, those are rare. They don't happen very much. They don't, you know, the the, the kids who just kind of they don't really buy in. They just kind of float around, you know, like the 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 JV football players, the JV wrestlers, those guys. They can they're part of the community. They just kind of hang around and float around, and that's fine. But you don't really get that in speech. You either get the all in or the all out, and. You know, I, I know that when I was in high school, uh, if you were on the team, you were all in. I don't remember there being a whole lot of the all out kids. No, that no. when I was in high school. Uh, so for 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 us, this is a a difficult a difficult thing to navigate with these kinds of kids. It just becomes tough for us. So you have have to learn to live with them. And it's a really tough coaching environment right now, like across the board, right? Across the board. It's really tough coaching environment. Uh, None of us are, uh, you know, I think having the kind of, none of us are having the kind of seasons that we thought that uh, we were going to have. And and of course, everything takes, everything takes a while. And, and, uh, and I think we're starting to kind of get to that, that, that place where maybe things are starting to turn the corner, but it has been a challenging year. And, it, and that's not just our activity. It's not just ours. Football's had a tough year. Basketball. If you start asking high school coaches anywhere, or whatever the sport may be, high school coaches will tell you our numbers are down. 
Uh, the, 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 the emotional behavioral challenges are up. Uh, the parent challenges are up. Uh, the activity vibe in general is down. Uh, so there's all of those things that I think, uh, come into play. Uh, and, and I, and I know we're not the only ones, but we're feeling it now because we're at the end of the season and that's the whole, that, then that's kind of what we all kind of feel night after night. Ryan, I know when Ryan goes home and when I go home and when, uh, these other coaches go home, this is kind of what they think about is how do we make this activity better, uh, for people in the future and how do we make this a better experience and how do we change and, and how do we evolve and adapt? And it's all of that. I realize we've just talked speech for 15 minutes. There was a reason why I wanted to talk speech, not because you and I needed this minute to kind of purge these feelings out and just kind of, kind of ooh child it away. If you will, here, as we get to the end of the season, there is some other stuff that's kind of out there. That's sort of permeating through the world of speech that I, I think is societal it is kind of systemic. It's uh, stuff that I, I just don't like, and I'd like to see it go away. Uh, this year, I think more than any, we've seen more, we've seen more trigger warnings. We've seen more young coaches. We've seen more activist judges. You know, I think for lack of a better term, you know, judges who seem to have their own mind made up you know, about what they want and what they need. And listen, I'm, I'm fine with judges having an opinion. Like, that's great. But that opinion needs to be rooted in the activity first, like the rules of the activity. And I just feel like whether you're on the left or on the right or whatever, and, and these issues in speech are primarily on the left. Um, I, I just, I, I don't like that direction of trigger warnings and activist judges. I'm a little concerned about that as we head towards the end of this season. And it is something that I think does need to be addressed going forward because we got to, we got to get, we got to get on the same page with this. The trigger warning thing, right. Bill Maher talked about it the other night, Ryan, that the trigger warnings are proving to have an adverse effect because people are triggered by the trigger warnings. So it's not even the act. It's not even the action. It's just the trigger of the trigger warning. I don't know what to do with this. I hate them because I think they go against everything speech stands for and everything that public speaking should be about. It should be about uncomfortable discussions. It should be about, you know, hearing things that are tough for you to hear. It should be about that in speech and public speaking. And I worry that those things are being slowly taken away by some folks, uh, whether they're young college coaches or activist judges. Well, and and I mean, you and I have had these conversations before where, I mean, I am, I'm left of Lenin. Very left to, of Lenin. I'm, like I am. I'm very, very, very far to the left. You are Soviet um, Russia. Uh, <laughs> you know, you are uh, just very, very close. However, you know, I, I think that especially when it comes to to issues like this, and I'm not a Bill Maher guy. I don't like Bill Maher very much. But I like Bill Maher. Um, I, I'm because we're old liberals. I guess I like only, Bill Maher. <laughs> the only place, the only place where. I, I really agree with this because I'm usually like in every other scenario, I'm trigger warning guy. I think give give people the the option not to hear something because it's going to affect some kind of trauma that they are still dealing with, you know, in, in any other scenario. But we have an opportunity as coaches to to tell people, hey, if you go into a round of this category and there's there's a, hand, a handful of them, you go into poetry, prose, creative uh, drama duo you're going to get potentially some really dark trauma based stuff that 
you might not be ready for, right? There's going to be topics of, of, you know, dealing with sexual assault. There's going to be topics of dealing with violence. There's going to be topics of dealing with racism. Drug use. Right? Uh, drug you name use, it. Misogyny, you name it. Sexism, cancer. Cancer. Disease, death, loss, grief. That's what poems right? and drama it's, and all that shit's about. Every one of those right. poems centers around those kinds of things. Right. It's not a lot of love and poems. It, it is a failure. The, the, the reason that we don't, I don't feel, and I've come around on this because you and I have had this conversation a few times. I was on the other side of this argument even four weeks ago. But the reason that I changed my mind was that it's our job as coaches to prepare kids. And what we're doing is we're giving you a safe place to process that trauma through performance. And the, the kids who are performing this stuff are often kids who identify with it. And, and by forcing them to have to put a trigger warning in front of it or, or by telling kids, don't go listen to this because there's a trigger warning in front of it or leave if you feel uncomfortable you're taking away the platform of a student who is who is using the safe space we're providing to perform and find their own voice and you're, you're taking that up op- that opportunity away from them and it's our job as coaches it's our job as the program as the community members who are going to be around long term to say hey if you go into this round you can see that and if you're not ready for this then you're not ready to perform in this category there's humorous, there's cre- creative can be funny too. There's oratory, there's info. You can go do discussion, extemp reading, go do extemp speaking, do whatever, do whatever else you want to do. Go to great speeches, go to storytelling. And there's all these other categories you can go do. You don't have to do drama, prose, poetry if you don't want to see stuff that could be triggering to you. And then when you're ready, that piece that you want to perform will still be there. And it's, it's on us as coaches to tell those kids that's the option. 100%. And I, I, and I don't feel like that as a community, we've done a good enough job of this balancing act of protecting the audience from things they don't want to hear, which is not the purpose of speech, versus providing a platform for kids who feel that there's something they need to say with the, with the piece that they've selected. And I hate to be this guy, but the part part of speech is being an audience member. That's part of this, yep. right? That is part of this is you being able to sit there and hear shit that you don't want to hear or, or hear stuff you're not comfortable hearing all the time, but being able to stand there and listen and be a respectful audience member and hear that message. It's really important. Well, it's because, because of what. It's this idea of solidarity too, right? Where, like I said, uh, most of these kids, they pick these pieces and they work with coaches to find these pieces for things that they identify with, for things that they're working through, things that they may have lived through, things that they care about, right? These are not – kids don't just come out of, come up with these pieces out of the blue. They talk about themselves and these coaches know their students and they pick pieces together. And they go out and they perform it and it becomes this, this, this healing thing for them. And, you know, as, as a student who, if you're so triggered by this because you're going through it, you can't be so selfish to deny somebody else the platform of going up and performing their piece because you might be uncomfortable as an audience member. 
your job as an audience member is to sit with them in that moment as they process through that stuff too, because they're sitting through your stuff, right? And you don't know whether or not your stuff may or may not be triggering for them, but they're sitting through it too. Right. Yeah. Everyone that's has just to it. through everyone's it, piece. That used to be kind of the general the agreement, right? The, the the gentleman's agreement that we got into in speech was I'm gonna sit down and listen to you, and I'm gonna be supportive of you. All I ask is you do the same for me. Like that is that is the gentleman's agreement. That yeah. is where we're at. And yeah. when you start to to change that and you start to move those goalposts. This this is where we go wrong as not just an activity. This is a societal issue. Yeah. Right. Because now we've we we stopped that. Right. We've gone to the echo chambers and the neutral core and we've gone away from just the hey, I'll hear what you have to say. Why don't you hear what I say? Nope. Now it's I'm going to say what I want to say and then I'm going to block you. Yeah. And like it's, it's, that, a, it's a selfishness. Yes. It's 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 a self-absorption in your own in your own <clears throat> belief system but also like it's it's a it's the death of of a community it's the death of this right? activity if we continue on this path speech just will not exist in and not in the way it's supposed to it might exist but it'll exist the way it existed two years ago during covid when kids were talking into computer screens with blank audiences right but that's and, what and, it'll and, become and and the part of that is is this larger issue for me of you know you learn to in this activity to, to be competitive with yourself, but not competitive with the people in the room that everyone in there is, is building something. They're all working on themselves and you get judged on it. You get scored against each other, but you're not competing against each other, right? Everyone goes in there and gives their best run and the judge scores what the best run, which was the best of those best runs. Right. And some kids, you know, they give it their best, but that wasn't enough that round. And they know that that's why you have three rounds. Right. And then, you know, if you're, if you're really good, if you're, if your best is, you know, reaching that level of, of excellence, you get one more round to continue to work on it and you're scored against each other, but you're not really competing against each other. Right. Cause it's, you're not actively like in physical contact with them. You're not really, you can't There's nothing you can do to change speech. them yet. Nothing you but, can do to change them. But you see this kind of stupid bleed. And and this is coming from me, who is probably the most competitive person, you know, it's certainly in, in the North Metro. I feel like I'm I'm the one who's like always looking for the edge. And that's certainly become my reputation, I guess, is is the one who's who's always looking for a way to help my kids find a way to win. Uh, you know, it's it becomes this issue of of people pushing too hard for that where they lose sight of the fact that it's about doing your best yourself and and eventually the score takes care of itself which has been my message to my kids all year is if you do things the right way if you work really hard if you if you support your team and do the things the way that they're supposed to be done the score will take care of itself yeah you're not competing against other people but now you have this sort of mentality of well, what can I do to throw off my competition, right? In in a round of oratory or a round of – humorous is a great one because humorous does – there's this weird trend of people who are just consciously not laughing when things are funny. Yep. And And if you find something funny, you just don't laugh at it. And to me, it totally kills the spirit of what this activity is supposed that's why to the be. Activity, that's, why that, that's why that category stinks. 
Yeah. That's why, I mean, that's why that, that nobody, nobody wants to do it and it's not funny and nobody's laughed at anything in 10 years. Yeah. And, and this, this partly, I hate to keep throwing the blame at this group. This kind of comes from that South Metro culture of, you know, being the hyper competitive, we're going to go to nationals and do really well. And everything is, you know, the good old boys club from down South of, of 94, you know, that's kind of where we get this sort of thing, right. Is, you know, I feel like up here, you know, and I, I, this is again, really inside baseball, nobody else is going to care about this, but you, you kind of get that, that North South divide again, where all the rich schools down South have their thing with their hundred person teams. And they're trying to, you know, struggle for their trophies and the Rose bowl and the, the, you know, the, the Apple Valley apples every year. And the, those kinds of things. That's that's what they're thereafter. But up here in the north, it feels like we have our own little community, you know. And and you know, some kids try to emulate that because some schools kind of dabble in that southern thing. But for the most part, up here, it's you know, you don't really have that culture. It's it's a little more relaxed up here, and we take it seriously. But it's like it's not that. And I kind of yep. like that it's not that that yep. we have we kind we have this thing where we're trying to get better and we're having fun and. You know, it just feels like it's two different activities sometimes. And it, it, it gets a little frustrating because I love this activity and I know you do. And it yeah, just and feels like some years that we're we're up against this monster of of people and kids who want to be really too many cues and they're taking too many cues from national, you know, big mouths. Like, yeah. you know, there are college coaches or college kids who start judging, who start coaching in some of these communities that don't have you know, a lot of money and they hire 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds to be head coaches of programs. And so what do you get? You get kind of these ultra liberal college activist mentalities and it permeates through the teams and it permeates through the kids. And before you know it, it permeates through the activity. And what you then get are kids who feel like they have to placate to these sort of activist judges or activist coaches and that's where you get these trigger warnings and that's where you get these pieces that are, you know, devoid of any real things because, oh, you don't want to, you know, we want to, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to dare challenge anybody. So what do we get? We get these shitty poetry programs by 20 different authors that are devoid of feeling. We get, you know, prose pieces out of Reader's Digest, you know, or whatever the hell safe, you know, shitty short story we can come up with. And we're not a, we avoid like real authors and real issues and real things because we want to we, we don't want to anger, you know, the, the, the 27 million things out there that anger people these days. Like, man, I just felt like it was a conversation I had with one of my assistants the other day where it's like, you know, I grew up in the 90s and people think we were pretty closed off in the 90s and maybe we were. Um but I felt like we could have honest conversations about a lot of things. You know, I felt like you could say things in rooms with people and have a, have a dialogue. I, I don't think you can have a dialogue about anything right now, especially in the speech community. And that's a real yeah. concern in an activity called speech. We can't talk. Yeah. And, and I, th I think that the problem is, is, you know, we have these conversations in tab rooms. I feel like every week. And we get a lot of agreement from folks <clears throat> and and people who, you know, who don't necessarily argue with with the ideas that we put out there, and then they'll go out to CTAM and vote another way. Yeah. And and 
you know, because they don't want to be looked at as these bad guys or get canceled, you know, get, Oh man, he doesn't care about kids or he doesn't care. He, he's Mr. He's Mr. You know, he's Mr. Talk about anything and no trigger warnings. He must not like kids, you know, and all this crap. It comes, it just, it's bullshit. And part of this issue, I know you had other things you wanted to get to. I know I become the fucking dad on footloose. Every time we have these conversations, it's just, it's the the reverend. That's what I become. Well, I don't even think it's really out of line today because I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. It's yep. there's very little that I disagree with here, right? Let me put that out there. There's there are the things that I that you and I differ on this is so minute that it's not even worth bringing up. But you know, and, and I'm again, I'm I'm one of those young coaches, and I shouldn't say one of those young coaches because I'm I'm almost thirty now, but it's and I've been doing this for ten years. Uh, but part of the issue is, and I say this as one who is someone who isn't. Teachers don't coach anymore. Yeah. And certainly not in debate. No. And, but, and, and the ones in speech are becoming more and more rare. Yep. Right. They're the old guard or you and Thor Maddock at Princeton, right? They're, you know, Tim Coleman at Harding. These, these, the guys who coach speech, the people who coach speech, you know, we don't have any more Jill Lofalds, right? Mark Quinlan's dead. You know, he is. I, well, I'm just kidding. There's, of course, I've known that. And there's, there, there aren't more of those people, right? My, is Mike Worcester still teaching, or is he retired? I have no idea. I mean, I've, I've, I've only seen him once this year. I mean, there's, there are. I'm sure they the love people, that we're shouting these guys out on the pod, but hey, that's all good. They're shouting no, them all out. Everybody this, gets a men, get a gets a mention. Right, but we're shouting them out for a reason because they're great coaches who are also teachers, right? And there are great great coaches on the circuit right now who are who are teachers. Right. But you're seeing fewer and fewer of them every year. Right. There's not a whole lot of up and coming coaches who are new teachers. Right. We'll shout a couple more out. Rachel Mann in Columbia Heights, teacher, coach, doing a great job building your program. Yep. Right. 100%. Like 100%. That's the model. And what happens? Her, Her team jumps to 37 this year. And and suddenly, you know, we've got a really good. We got a really good competitive program at Columbia Heights. Something they haven't had in a really, really long. Have they ever had it? I don't know if they've ever uh, had it. Uh, Tom Larson at, at Fridley this weekend was saying, "No, they. Had, I don't think he, they've ever had a, pro, a a team like this that was ever this good." And he would know. So, it. It. I don't think being a teacher is required, but there is a certain nuance to being a teacher and coaching this activity. That. And this is the case, not just in speech. I mean, there's less teachers that coach hockey. There's less teachers that coach basketball. There's less teachers that coach football. There's just less of them because teachers don't want to do this shit. It's too much work and too much hassle and too much extra crap to deal with for not enough money. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? It's never enough money. It's never enough yeah. money. But now it's not worth the little money you get. Yeah, I mean, there. You do it because you love it. Yep. Right. Your your wife doesn't mind the vacation every year. Doesn't mind the vacation. But, but it's not like it's life changing money for you. It's not paying your mortgage. No. Right. It's. I mean, and then, you know, like I said, I'm I'm not going to air the grievances that I have with where I'm at, and you know, talk to me offline. You'll you'll get to hear them. But. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, it's it's just when schools don't pay anything and they have zero contracts and, you know, they don't invest in it at all, 
that's where programs that could be very successful aren't, right? There's no reason that where I'm at, and I won't shout it out because I don't want to, I'm not, ta- yep. I'm not talking shit about the school because they're, nope. they're a great school and the kids are great. The administration's awesome. Uh, I have zero problems with anyone that I've worked with personally this year. Uh, the problem is, is that economically, academically, athletically, this is a school that should be competitive with every school in the state. And you just can't keep coaches. And there's a reason for that, right? You just, if you can't hold down coaches, it's time to ask yourself why. And do you really care about it? Are you really invested in kids and are you really invested in activities and are you really trying to do right by what you're doing? And this is, again, this is where the culture is, right? They want everything. Cultures want everything, right? The city, the city, the taxpayers, the country, everybody, they want all of these things, but they don't want to pay for any of them. They just want you to give it to them. Yeah. You know, the students just want A's. They don't want to write A papers, but they want the A. So you got to give it to them. They want the one in the speech round, but they don't want to work for it. Yeah. Kid, I mean, everybody wants what they want. They want all of this stuff. Whether you're on the left, on the right, doesn't matter. You want all of this stuff, but you don't want to pay for it or work for it. You just want people to give it to you. And that's it. And it's very frustrating. That's why I say like this speech conversation is really a microcosm of a lot of things. Um, it, it, it's, it manifests itself everywhere. Um, but it's some of the stuff that drives me bananas about coaching and about teaching and about everything. It's all yeah. shows up in these Saturdays sometimes. And you love the kids and you love the activity and you love everything about what you do. And then you see some of the stuff you don't like and it just pisses you off. Like it, it just makes you so mad and you, you wish you could change it overnight and you can't, but what it, how, what we change it is by having conversations about it and not running from it. No more trigger warnings. We got to get past that shit. You got to be willing to have uncomfortable conversations and you got to be okay with being uncomfortable every once in a while. Yeah. I I mean that it's just that simple. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I think that especially, especially in our community, we need to be better about about preparing kids to go into competition. Hundred percent. Right? I think I think that's that's the biggest part of this for me is you, you. We need to be better about telling kids that you're going to be uncomfortable by things that you hear, and you just have to be ready for it. Right? And you got to be a little tougher. You got to have a little yeah. toughness. You got to have some grit, but, some know, part resilience. Of, part you don't think that look. I don't want to, to denigrate or say that these things aren't a problem, but like I was talking about suicide in my oratories 12, 13 years ago, right? I, I, you don't think kids were dealing with this 10, 20, 30 years ago, right? You don't think that kids were, were dealing with, with anxiety, anxiety, the trauma of sexual assault. The You don't think that that was happening 20, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like the we were all dealing with it. We all went through it. Every coach who performed in this activity went through it, right? We all did it. And it's not ridiculous to say that, you know, we're not asking you to, to live it again. We're saying that we're, we're offering you a place where you can deal with it. Yeah. And, and, and you can, you can work through it. Like it's, it, this should not be a controversial topic. And you can't have it both ways in the case of some of this crap. 
Like, you can't say you're traumatized by, by violence and things like that. And every time I see you, you're on your phone watching an episode of Criminal Minds. Yeah. Like, you can't have it both ways. I'm going to continue to say that about our society in general. You can't, you can't be watching The Last of Us on HBO Max and then tell me, oh, I don't know, violence. Uh, it's not for me. You can't have it both ways. Sorry. You got to be fair. Yeah. Got to be fair. All right. I agree. We did 40 minutes on speech and culture. Let's talk about a couple other things here in our podcast. Sure. Let's do it. There's the hard turn. Hard turn that we needed. Kind of a hard turn. I asked this question as one of my extent questions today in speech, Ryan. Let me ask you this question. Sure. Is it time to worry about John Fetterman's health and should he consider resignation? You know, uh, you're a political guy. I, I don't want to spend a million hours on politics, but I want you to at least have a minute on this one because I know you were a staunch advocate for him. I think that that Fetterman's doctors say that he's going to make a full recovery physically, and his issues right now are largely mental. Right? They're Correct. they're the they're the mental health problems that we've been discussing with him. Um, is it possible? that he was pushed too fast, too quickly post-stroke here because they were trying to win elections and that folks maybe on the Dem side or his wife or his family maybe pushed this man too hard and it should have been about his mental recovery at the time. I get I, it. You I, didn't want Dr. Oz in the goddamn Senate. I understand that. But th- I, there I might have been a that, long-term consequence here. I think that that as someone who suffers from depression and anxiety, same. it's – you know, it's waves, right? It is. It's, uh, and and they can they can get you when you don't expect them, and you know, and honestly, what should be, you know, one of the better moments of his life, you know, becoming elected United States senator, and and you know, he hasn't experienced, uh, as far as we know, a major or great loss, uh, or or anything like that that would propel this publicly, uh it becomes difficult to kind of explain to the public why this might be happening. Uh, so it, one of the things that, that uh, bef- before I, I answer the question, I just want to say like, it's really good that he publicly sought help. I would, I would it, agree with it that would, statement. It would yes. be, it would be really easy to sweep that under the rug and, and, and just kind of, go about your your business and see somebody privately and not make a big deal out of it but and and then we're not having this conversation right because how many how many senators or people in congress are getting help that we don't know about right yep, yep. got to be there fair are, that's also very fair to say there are rumors all the time that Mitch McConnell's on his last leg and he might be dying and this is his last term we hear that all the time and we just go whatever we right? we I'm and, not sure Diane Feinstein's alive right now right and and there have, it has been an open secret that she's not running her office for years, right? Yes. And we this, that is not it has been a conversation, but it's not really been a conversation, right? Her we've talked about her fitness for office, but it's Diane Feinstein, right? She's been around forever. Talking about her fitness for office is seen as taboo in some circles. Uh, for Fetterman, I don't think he should resign. Because okay. I, I think that just as important as it is that we see that you can get help publicly and continue on and go about your business 
and recover, it is equally as important to show that you can do anything with depression and that depression shouldn't be a barrier to your life. But is this also uh, a mix of the stroke though too? Like, is this exacerbating the symptoms of the stroke and he's not, is it preventing the recovery is really my question. I'm not saying he should resign because he's depressed. I'm wondering if all of this is just baked into this recovery cake that's sent back to the stroke and that he's having a really difficult time and he may never get all of his faculties together because of the stresses of the job. And that, that might be the case, but you know, even if that's the case, is he any worse than half the people in Congress? Right. I mean, it's, is he, is he any less qualified, even, even as limited, if limited, as limited as he might be by depression and the stroke recovery, is he any really any less effective or worthy than 75% of the people in Congress? George Santos is in Congress, and we've stopped talking about how he should resign for the last month, despite the fact that he's lied about everything about himself. I think he should resign and right now. I agree. Completely agree. I agree he should. Uh but as long as he's in the House, I can't say that John Fetterman should resign from the Senate. And that's very fair. And, I'll give you that and, one too. And there, there are, there's a whole load of people in, in Congress that I don't believe deserve to be there. And if we start taking a look at people's health and, – and look, the people of Pennsylvania knew that this was a problem when they elected him, right? They yeah. elected him despite the fact that he had a stroke. It was because the other and, guy was that bad. That's true, but also because Fetterman's extremely popular in the state of Pennsylvania. That's true. He is he is a very popular lieutenant governor, and I don't think people realize this because not everybody pays attention in primaries. Do you know which county he lost in the primary? Mm. He didn't lose know. any of them. He won every single county in, in but Pennsylvania. that was also pre-stroke, right? Like, I think it's different. I don't think he's the same guy that won the primary. Like, it's not the same guy right now. We know that. And I think I, that's got to be part of this conversation. I still think that he's wildly popular in the state. He probably is. And, and I still think that he can do a great job and he should serve out his term if he can. I just, I just, and, I'm more concerned about him as a human being. That's all. This is not about politics for me. I yeah. know it's going to always be spun politically, no matter what. But part of me wonders, like, at what point does the human being oversee, like, the political stuff? Well, and if, like, if we, as as people who do care about the human being, because I do too, I think it's important that we allow the human being to make those decisions. Yeah. And if if he feels that he can continue, if he feels that he can get treatment and keep getting better, then he should he should have the right to continue as long as Diane Feinstein was able to continue. Yeah. Which, right? oof, if boy, if he we was might need able to have to, some laws and about that, I don't know if well, we should have that kind of stuff. That's a different conversation that we can have. Hundred percent. Right? Yeah, we can it's, talk about the McConnells and the Feinsteins and all of that stuff. Yeah, I, I'm the, 100% the service for life thing is is not something I've always been fond of, but I'm also not big on term limits. I'm a Jed Bartlett term limits guy. Uh, you know, term limits. We have term limits. They're called elections. Uh, and that's maybe that's naive of me to to think that I'm more focused on doing things like getting money out of politics, uh, because I think that that's where the, a lot of this stuff can can get fixed is just taking the money out of it. But a guy like like Fetterman, a first year Western Pennsylvania blue collar union guy, 
God, we need guys like him in the Senate, man. I And he represents so much more than just himself out there. I mean, you think about all the people on his side of the state that have just been forgotten for years. And those are the people that voted for him, right? Like you think about Western Pennsylvania and, and the loss of a lot of industry out there. That was, you know, steel manufacturing. It was kind of the seat of, of the Rust Belt started in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and moved West from there through Cleveland and Detroit, right? Those were really the three big cities in the Rust Belt. And, you know, Pittsburgh isn't what it was 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And a lot of that is because of policies in Washington that have not been representative of their of them. And, you know, the, the Steelworkers Union has been not nearly as power, powerful as it used to be in, in, in getting benefits and stuff for, for, for the people that, that they represented, which is a huge swath of Western Pennsylvania. And Fetterman's a guy who came up in that, right? He was, he was one of those guys. He comes from that kind of family. So it's really important that we have guys like him in the Senate. And as long as he feels like he can continue, I'll support him staying. Okay, that's fair. That's that's very fair. I just thought that was worthy of a discussion. I think I don't think it's something that people have talked about a lot because I think people are kind kind of they don't want to they don't they don't want to look at the the stuff around it. And again, I don't think anybody's saying this is where nuance is really important. Like I'm not saying oh he checked himself in for depression he should resign. No, I'm saying is it all part of the health process for him? And you just wonder if it's too much. The isolation and Washington's a very isolated life. He's a guy recovering from stroke. It's difficult. It's really challenging on a guy who's depressed, who's recovering and all of that stuff. And I just worry about him. That's all. I, yeah. I want to make sure that it's, again, I'm more interested in the human being than I am the, the senator. But I understand people wanting him there as a senator too. And if he wants to stay, you're right. I'm not going to tell him what to do. He can do what he wants. Uh, but it's just one of those things. I thought it was a good conversation to have. All right. Another one. Derek Carr signed with the New Orleans Saints today or the other day. You were, I kind of called this a month ago. I thought he was going to New Orleans no matter what. I just felt like he wasn't going to allow a trade from Vegas to there. He didn't want Vegas to get anything back, but I felt like this was a done deal the whole time. Your impressions. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is, Zach disagrees with me on this. I think Derek Carr is better than Zach thinks. Yeah. Uh, Zach hates Derek Carr. (laughs) And, I think we saw a significant drop off from Derek Carr last year because I, I continue to think that Josh McDaniels just isn't a very good head coach. Might be a really good coordinator, and he was in New England for a long time, uh, but I, I don't think he's a very good head coach. Uh, and the players agree with me, by the way. I don't know if you saw the results of that the player association uh, survey that went out uh, no, late I didn't last see week. That. No, I didn't see um, that. So. First things first, we'll come back to the Derek Carr thing in just a second on this. But uh, the number one team in the league based on the player association criteria of, of rating every team, right? So facilities, coaching staffs, uh, food, how they treat their families, uh, things like that, travel, travel plans, things like that. The number one team across the board in every category, the Minnesota Vikings. I read that uh, part. The, uh, the number eight team was the Las Vegas Raiders. The one place where they failed, head coach. Mm. The the players believe that uh, Josh McDaniels makes them work long hours, extra hours, and it doesn't translate to wins. And I wonder if Derek Carr just didn't thrive in that environment because he wasn't terrible before that. 
right? He's a serviceable quarterback in the league. You went to the playoffs uh, with Pitt boss Rich. I don't think that was something that and Zach never gives the credit there. I don't think, you know, but I think that's something if, that needs if, to be said. If you can, if you and Rich Bisaccia can get to a uh, can get to the playoffs in the AFC in that division, no less. Uh, it, more power to you. You know, I, I think that, that that that's there. I think that the talent is there. And I think he steps into a situation where he has a much better offensive line. He's got a, a he gets a huge upgrade upgrade at running back. Alvin, I'd take Alvin Kamara over. He Josh might be Jacobs. in jail though. Didn't Alvin Kamara get charged with something? Yeah, but they, these guys always got to find a way to get out. Uh, and is Dennis Allen a good coach? I, I don't know if Dennis Allen's a good coach, but you are you are in a more talented position. Your offensive line's better. You've got you've got Chris Olave on the outside, who's a sure-handed threat. You've got Michael Thomas, who may or may not be decent, and a high draft uh, pick and, again coming this year, right? I think they have yep. another top what top ten, top twelve pick. Yep, and they're gonna they need to take a tight end, right? So they're they're gonna need to to find someone who can kind of play that big man role uh, and and move the sticks. And there's a lot there's a great tight end draft, and you and I are gonna talk the draft a little bit this year. Uh, but this is a great tight end draft. There's so many great tight ends coming out this year. Uh, this honestly. It's it's not been talked about. This might be the best tight end draft I've seen ever. You have there, that's it, this is ooh that is something. There are there are more exceptionally talented tight ends in this draft than I've ever seen. Starting with Michael Mayer from from uh, Notre Dame might be the best one in the class, and he might be the best tight end prospect we've seen. Don't try to think of a comparison. Does this give the Saints, though, the edge in the division? Now, do they win the division? Is this over? Well, I, does, I do, think do we that, have to see what Carolina does? I, I don't even – Carolina's not talented enough on defense, I think, yet. But you got to remember that New Orleans has the talent on defense, right? They can they can compete defensively. Now you have a decent quarterback who can provide you not just with some talent, but at least with some stability, right? Then that's really been their problem. They, you have two quarterbacks, you have none, and they had two quarterbacks all year last year. Uh they weren't sure where to go with the quarterback situation. Now I think that the head coach is a minus in in New Orleans. I don't like Dennis Allen very much, and I think that this might end up being his last year in New Orleans uh, if if they don't do well. But you got all the turnover and turmoil in Tampa. It feels like they're in a flux year where they're going to sounds need like to Kyle Trask up. is going to start at quarterback. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, I think that his successor in Florida may have more starts this year than he does uh, in the NFL. Uh, in, in Anthony Richardson. And uh, I think that, you know, Atlanta is the wild card for me because, you know, at, Atlanta got really good at the end of the year last year. And it we felt think like, Desmond Ritter sucks, though, don't we? I mean, we didn't really see anything we liked out of him. Did you? Did you see anything you liked out of him? I mean, he's young. So I, I mean, I'd want to give I'm him. Not, a yeah, full I'm not off. saying cut the guy, but I mean, he's not Kellen Mond. But. No, I'd, I'd want to give him a full off season before we see, but you know, it, it's I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Atlanta takes a quarterback this year, uh, and and you know rides that guy being on a rookie deal to, um, to being you know involved in in a, a better defense and a team that's building around him, but I, I don't, I wouldn't build around Desmond Ritter. Right. No, I mean, there's it's a good enough quarter. Not. It's a good enough quarterback class that you shouldn't have to. No. Right. Yeah, you're, of course, you're not going to put the you're not going to. No. Not and if, Ritter. and if you feel like this year, 
isn't a great year for quarterbacks. Like if you're not wild about it, like my buddy Nate is not wild about the quarterbacks this year. I brought up the idea of the Vikings maybe drafting Anthony Richardson and he scoffed at the idea. You know, um, he doesn't think it's a good draft. By all accounts, people love the top three guys. I, there's arguments to be made that next year's might be better. Because uh, of Caleb Williams? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and look, if you can find a way to stink this year and, and snag Caleb Williams. <laughs> Are you boy. suggesting that the that the Vikings throw games? Look, all I'm saying is you're doing a major remodel on defense. You kind of got to figure out what to do with the quarterback. Sign Jefferson long term. Go get Caleb Williams. And boy, I don't know. You know it's, <laughs> I don't hate the idea. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I can I can live with without a year of uh, <laughs> of being you know in cardiac arrest every time the Vikings play. Like I would. A, a, a nicer year on your heart would be good. One I, thing you do it, have to do, you got to, yeah, you definitely have to get your mock draft ready because Ryan, we got a two part mock draft. We might have to do, we'll break that into two parts, but we've got like a two, we're like two weeks away from probably your mock draft. Am I right? Like two, three weeks away? Yeah, I, I haven't sat down and, and looked at it yet. Uh, to be honest, uh, it's probably going to be uh, after this week. So getting into next week. Now that the combine's um, done, the you combine's had a to done. Kind of sit on it. Last speech meet this week, last invitational, right? So I'm going to have an opportunity next week to kind of sit down and actually go through some football stuff and start thinking about football again. Because um, I'm I'm thinking that next week we probably take the week off for speech uh, and come back and practice hard for sections. But it's going to be a uh, uh, going to be nice to just take a week away and 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 recoup a little bit and just take a little vacation between, you know, like a, a pseudo spring break. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm putting that together in the next week or two. Um, I've not put a ton of thought into it. Maybe I should. All right. But we're getting into hey. March madness season. So one last thought here, and then we'll get you rolling on on this one. Uh, Eric Kendricks released by the Vikings today. Not a surprise move. I think you were thinking this was probably one of the casualties that was coming. The one thing that I was surprised to hear was that they're thinking of restructuring Cook and keeping him. I didn't think there was any way that was happening. Uh, Your thoughts on all of that from the Vikings perspective? Yeah, I think that it makes sense business-wise, but you hate to lose a guy like that. You know, you you think that he's a locker room leader. He's a guy who... um, you know, he, he does so many things well. Uh, he, he does so many things well outside of the game that that you want him you want him around. But the the thing is that you look at the 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 way he's played the last two years. He was an All Pro in 2019, right? And this feels crazy to say, but 2019 was four years ago. That's right. And and you look around and. The play, his play had dropped off a cliff the last two years. And, and you can stink just as easily without him as you could stink with him. Right. And pay and less the, money, right? He's on the wrong side of 30, right? It opens up an opportunity for a guy who showed some flash last year and Brian Asamoah to step in and, and, and play more, right? He can play in that, in that middle linebacker spot. 
You got a new coordinator um, who seems like he's more interested in blitzing and doing some aggressive stuff. Yep. So you need you need that speed from the linebacker position, and Asamoah brings that. Um, I think that you're probably going to see Jordan Hicks go too. So you're you're going to lose both of your middle linebackers. They're gonna you're going to replace both of them. Um, so business wise, it makes sense to to do it. Um, I just worry that you're losing some leadership there that you're you're going to miss. Um. Because he, he I me, mean, you think about the moments that he was involved last year, right? It was him that recovered the fumble in the end zone against Buffalo. Uh, it was, you know, he was the one that that made a couple of big third and fourth down stops all year last year. He was around. He was around the ball. He was making plays, but his general game had just fallen off to a point where it couldn't be. You couldn't justify keeping him anymore at the not, at the rate not, that he was. Being yeah, paid. not what not what you're paying him. Certainly not. Right. And I'm you got to move thing, quickly. Yeah, definitely. You definitely do. And the business moves quickly, right? Yep. And on the cook thing, you know, it. I think that that you run into an issue where um, cook is quickly approaching that wrong side of 30, right? You're, you're quickly getting to a point where his play appears to have dropped off as well, right? Yes. I mean, he's I think good. We can for, all agree on that. Yeah. For every, every couple of weeks, he'll, he'll bust out a gigantic run. And and have that moment where you're like, ah, that's why you have Dalvin Cook. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have an offensive line that's built to run the ball. And when Bradbury was healthy, they ran the ball okay. But it didn't seem to matter whether Dalvin Cook was in there or not. You know, you can run, they could run with Alexander Madison behind yeah. that offensive line. And the last thing I'll say on, on Cook is this. Sean, uh, the the Sean McVay system that Kevin O'Connell comes from, the the model for victory in the NFL right now. That look at Kansas City, look at uh, Philadelphia does this to some extent. <clears throat> Obviously, like I said, L.A. San Francisco does this. None of them, none of them, spend a ton of money on running back. Sorry, bumping they, buttons here. Hate that. No, it's fine. Hate to see they, it. They, it's none of them spend money on running back. They have a stable of guys that are cheap. Some of them retreads who have played for a while in the league who can do yep. different things. It's true. And they fit different parts of the offense that you can rotate them in and out for different situations. And you build elsewhere. You pay big for a wide receiver who can make big plays, Jefferson. You pay big for a quarterback who can who can get the ball all over the field. And then you uh, (laughs) a lot of silence on that one. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, you know, makes clutch plays. And, you know, you you just trade for Rogers. What what are you talking about? I would. Can I can I just say this real quick? If there were a way that you could afford him. I would pull out all the stops to get Lamar Jackson. I did just say, oh, boy, that would also be an emergency pod. We just talked to Ty earlier this uh, – I talked to Ty tonight, and I just said if Aaron Rodgers signs with the Jets or Lamar Jackson comes to the Vikings, instant quad pod. We'd have all four of us on. Emergency. The bat signal would go up. I'd have to get you, Zach, and Ty on immediately if that happened. Yeah, I, that would be um, – that would be one of those things where immediately I think the Vikings become the best team in the division, bar none. I, I think Minnesota's offense – is built much better for Lamar Jackson than Baltimore's is. Yeah. Uh, and and I think immediately the, the cascade effect of that would be Cook's gone, Thielen's gone, 
Uh, you're restructuring O'Neill. You're restructuring Hunter. You're restructuring Smith. You're cutting more guys. Hicks is gone. Zadarius Smith is gone. Uh, there would be a huge cascade effect to to that kind of move. But a Lamar Jackson, Justin Jefferson combination feels a little on the hot side. A little on the hot side. Now, I don't think that Minnesota has the yeah. I don't think they got the, the capital to do it, and the balls or no. the capital. Uh, look, here's the thing, right? But a good tight end to throw to is kind of what Lamar Jackson likes to do. Yeah, here's the thing: is the Vikings. And and this goes for everybody in the NFL. The cap doesn't matter. Really doesn't. Right? The cap is a myth. They can make <laughs> anything work. Uh sure they can. They and, can defer money. They can do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And they could they can rework Lamar's deal and say, you know, we'll give you fully guaranteed money, but you've got to work with us so that we can keep Jefferson around. So that you have somebody to throw to. Yeah, and that, we what, back end, we can backload this, whatever. Yeah. And that's been his complaint for how long, right? Is I got nobody around me. Right. I got nobody here. It's the Lamar show in in Baltimore. And I, it shouldn't be like I want people to. Throw I don't want to fully guarantee him anything, though. I'll be really honest with you. I don't want to. I'll give him I'll give him I'll guarantee him a lot. I'm not giving him a fully guaranteed deal. No way. No chance. I, I think you could fully guarantee the first three years. Yeah, and, I'd be willing to do that. And, I'd be willing to do that. But he wants like six years fully guaranteed. And I'm not doing that. No way. Uh-uh. Sorry. I would. I, and I would make I wonder. I don't even know if this is a lot under the CBA, but. I wonder if you could conditionally guarantee that money and make it more like an incentive. Yeah. And say, hey, if we get to a point here where you have played X number of games, not getting hurt, right? Staying healthy. Uh, you've p- played X number of games. Or if we get to year two and we are playing in a Super Bowl, right? Not winning, playing in. So the window is clearly open. Right, your last three years become fully guaranteed. So you get yeah. your six years guaranteed if you can hit this mark. Yeah, like you know, that's the one thing you can say about Cousins. You can rip Cousins. You can say a lot of stuff about him, and I'm okay with that. The guy plays. The guy suits up and plays every week. I can't yeah. guarantee that about Lamar he, Jackson. He just he just doesn't miss time. He's 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 right? played every game. He's played every game. Since he's been here, we can say is, a lot of things about Kirk Cousins. The guy plays. Yeah. This is this is where I think Lamar hurt himself a little bit this year. Uh, was by sitting out the end of the year when you had when you had a shot. Yep. Right when your when your team felt like they had a shot, you disappeared because you wanted you were playing the money game. And now we have to ask the question of were you really hurt? And I don't know which answer is better. Yeah, you know what I mean. I don't know which answer is worse, and that might be the problem. Right. Is what what do I want that answer to be? Like Lamar's way more talented than Kirk. I feel like I trust Kirk. Like I feel like Kirk will be there. He sure would. You know, I don't I'm not saying Lamar's better. There's no question about that. Like I'm not disputing that that's not a talent thing. It's just uh you know what it doesn't talent doesn't buy you doesn't mean anything if you aren't playing in December. Yeah. And and the other thing don't mean shit. Does does Lamar feel better in a situation where his, where the training staff is not the worst rated training staff in the NFL by the players? It's a great point. Can't argue with you there. Well, you're really into those player polls. You really are. You're they matter. The, they matter. Yeah, they do. Did, you're, you're right. I agree. I agree. Did you hear what David Bakhtiari said about it? No. So obviously he's the Packers left tackle, right? And you had Packers fans, rightfully, I think, throwing some shade at Vikings fans who were 
celebrating that the, that their players felt like they were the you know the, that their facilities were great, right? And Packers fans were like, oh, they're going to hang a banner. Nah, nah, they're going to hang the banner for being the best in the player poll. Nah, Super Bowl, whatever. Hilarious. Uh, great jokes all around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Love hearing them. Keep and them coming. Bakhtiari jumps in on Twitter and says, you know, hey, credit to those guys. This this stuff matters to players. They read this stuff and it matters to them. And with free agency starting in less than a week, this is about the time you wanted that stuff to come out. Hmm. Right? Is you know you are you saying we're signing David Bakhtiari? No, Was that's that not sort what of I'm like saying. a stealthy it's, is like a stealthy no, little move that a, he sent to the Vikings to say like, hey, I'm agent, coming. I don't think he's a free agent, but the, he, uh, I didn't know. No, uh, but you know, you get a division rival who has every reason not to like them saying, you know, hey, credit to them. That's players care about these polls. They care about these numbers. Like, that's kind of a big deal to me. What you're saying is that it's not nothing. It's definitely not nothing, and I definitely think it's something. It's something uh, because those those kinds of things I think would sway a player, right? Because that's leverage a team can use that says, hey, we've got the best facilities in the in the league. Right, we've got the best facilities in the league. We got the best food in the league. We got the best travel plan in the league. Best food the- in the league. What does that matter? So your your fish sticks are fresher. Like what does that matter? What, so what is that? There, what are you serving? Five star meals. There, in there are there are teams in this league that don't provide three meals a day to their players. There are teams in the league that don't provide God, a full for the Vikings. I want a full nutrition supplement. Yeah, but the, it's a full nutrition plan, right? So that guys can can get and stay healthy. And stay at a, a playing weight and size that's appropriate for their position and themselves, um, you know, physician coordinated sort of stuff, right? And there are teams that don't even offer like multivitamins to their guys. That and there are guys, there are teams in this league, I guess, according to this 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 poll, there are teams that make their players pay for food. I heard about that. But, yeah, uh, some of those cheapskates. Like I think I bet you the Bengals do. I feel like Mike uh, Brown makes people pay for. I food. think. I think it was the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, Bidwell! Uh, what a shock! Yeah, yeah there's another yeah. guy, just a tight ass. And and one of the one of the things that that players felt or that players were pulled on in this poll was, do you feel that your your owner is willing to spend money to uh, to make it better if it's not good? I think the answer in Arizona was like thirty five percent. Yeah, said yes. Well, look at who they hired as the head coach. Yeah. You can't look at the Jonathan Gannon hire and tell me they're serious. No, they're not. A the serious last two hires, they're not serious. Yeah, it's, they just—they seriously hired. I, I mean, they hired Steve from Blues Clues to be the fucking head coach down there. They're just a goofball. <laughs> the fuck? I mean, what are we doing? Yeah, it's it's a uh, nightmare. It's a nightmare. Oh man, Rhino! I'm glad we got to talk football there at the end. Had a nice little. Yeah. Uh, Pretty serious pod there of Pod Paris. We got after it today. Nice job. Yeah, we spent forty minutes on speech, so I'll live with that anytime we can. Spend hey, we did tell ourselves today. we were going to have a little. Just even if nobody listened to that pod, we were going to have it, and so we, yeah. we did it today. The little tab room breakaway. Yeah, and we'll have a little more of that. If people want to talk more speech with us, they can. Obviously, they can go to speech. Uh, you can go watch all the speech wire stuff if you want. But actually, you can send me an email anytime you want at timpodcast at yahoo.com. Timpodcast1 at yahoo.com. I take that back. Uh, also, you can find us at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, subscribe, like, comment, all of that good stuff. Uh, you can also find us at Tim Pod, uh, timpodcast.podbean.com, facebook.com slash timpodcast, Mr. Tim Anderson on Instagram, Tim Anderson Pod on Twitter, even though I don't check my Twitter as much as I should because Twitter sucks. 
Uh, those are all those things uh, that you can go find our podcast and give and give it a listen. So we would appreciate it if you did. Till next time. For Rhino, for Tim. This is uh, this is Tim. I'm not even for Tim. This is Tim. Keep your head up. We'll see you next time.